This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. All right, I'm here with Arthur Abrams. Arthur is a jeweler. He's a jiu-jitsu black belt. He's a, a longtime martial artist, uh, a, a great personality on Instagram to follow. Uh, you you trade in, a, in an exciting world in, in fine jewelry and watches and diamonds, and uh, you're outspoken advocate for our sport. Uh, I'm very excited to talk to you for a variety of reasons, but one of the reasons I really reached out to you originally was because uh, you're not shy about your feelings on what it takes to be a business person and a small business person in this current craziness and in New York. And, uh, you know, People don't people don't speak up enough about what it takes to to start a business. So before we get too far ahead of ourselves, just give me a little background on who you are and how you came to be. Um, you know, growing up in Queens, Queens, New York, uh, went to St. John's, graduated St. John's University, been doing martial arts pretty much my whole life. Um, started out wrestling when I was a little boy. Um, wrestled for a while. Um, we did Greco-Roman wrestling. So like a lot of upper body, you know, clinch work, stuff like that. Translates pretty well into like tie-ups and Muay Thai and stuff like that. Um, then I transitioned to karate, watching all these Van Damme movies growing up, you know, the Bruce Lee, the Van Damme. Yeah. My mom to sign me up to karate. I was pretty committed to karate for a long time. Uh, eventually transitioning because of one of my coaches, the coach that I used to have, the, the sensei that I used to ha have, he moved away. And the school got shut down, so I stopped for a couple of years. And then I found a Taekwondo instructor that was really kind of instrumental in my life. Um, uh, you know, growing up in Queens, you can run into some pretty sketchy situations. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you I was like, you know, but it could have it could have went the other way for me. You know, honestly, yeah. could have. Uh, a lot of the friends that I had were not, you know, they weren't really thinking too much at the time. They were doing stupid stuff, you know. Not drugs or anything, but more like other 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 things. Getting um, in trouble. Other schemes, yeah. So went to St. John's. I used to compete for the St. John's uh, Taekwondo team. Nice. Uh, yeah, it was good. And uh, saw kind of like the Taekwondo thing kind of ran its course for me. Competed for a bunch of years, kind of fed up with the rule set started looking into different martial arts and found, uh, you know, found an old UFC tape. Like it was in the wrestling section in the video store. Remember the video store? Yeah. We used to have those on pretty much like in every neighborhood we used to have. I used to have a video store not too far away from my house. Yeah. So after training a lot of times, like just to go online, because I used to train like Taekwondo, karate, I used to train four or five hours a day. So I was pretty committed. Yeah, uh, high level competitor, you know, did want, want some things, pretty good things, and uh, training, and then went to the video store to get the uh, the DV the D the, not DVD the VHS we used to have, right? So I get this um, UFC. I'm like, what the hell is this crap? You know, I was like, get the UFC, put it in, and I'm watching one of the UFCs, and I actually fell asleep watching it. I actually fell asleep watching it, and all of a sudden on my TV, it's like, oh, my God, he won. Oh, I'm like, how did he – I'm like, what did he do? How did he win? You know, like, what happened? So I have rewound it, and I saw him hoist. This is hoist Gracie I'm talking about. I saw him throw like a – which I had no idea was a triangle choke. 
All right, so I see him throw a triangle choke on somebody, and I'm like, what the hell did he do? How did he do? You know, like, I'm, I'm all confused. So the internet was kind of weak back then. Remember, like, couldn't really get any information out. So I type in uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and, you know, I find Renzo, which I thought was called Renzo Gracie, right? Because yeah. not being familiar with Brazilians and any and their culture at all. So... Yeah, found Renzo Gracie, walked down to the academy, see them in pajamas rolling around. I'm like, what the hell is this crap? I'm not doing this. This is, this is you know, not for me. Uh, and uh, started, you know, like looked at it. I actually fell asleep because I was, I was a party kid, right? So I yeah. go out the night before, go to work, go train, go here, go there, right? So I fell asleep watching these guys roll. So the guy guy comes up to me. His name is Magno Gama. Uh, he's a Henzo. He's a Henzo black belt. Has his own academy in Astoria now. Yeah. Uh, really good guy. He comes up to me. He's like, "Hey, you like this?" Um, I just like he just woke me up. Basically, I fell asleep on the bench at Henzo's. He's like, "You like this?" I'm like, uh, "I don't know." He's like, "You want to try?" He brings me a gi. I put on a gi. He's like, "You're not allowed to punch, right?" You did martial arts before? I'm like, yeah, I did some wrestling. I did some karate. I'm, I mean, whatever. He's like, you're not allowed to punch, but just like wrestle with the guy, grapple with the guy, see if he could, you know, if he could get you in a choke. And I don't know what he chokes. I just know right. how to hold you. I just know how to hold you, and I know how to headlock you. I don't know anything else. So I end up some. They gave me some little kid, some small, probably like a hundred thirty pound kid, a blue belt. He gets me in a in a in a Collar choke from the back. He gets me a collar choke from the back. I'm like, what the hell did he do to me, man? I sign me up. Let's go. <laughs> I was there. I was there twice a week. I was there morning and night, twice a week for six days a week after that. Wow. You know, this was back in 2005 I started. Wow. You know, so it was early on. It was different back then. All the belts trained together. And if you survived, you know, that really, you know, because we didn't train white belt, white belt, and brown belt, brown belt, or whatever it was. It was white belt, you're like a fresh, fresh meat, Henzo yeah. calls it, you know? Yeah. Put you on, and the retention rate, honestly, back then was really bad because a lot of students would come in. And like me, I was a little, you could say a little tougher because I had prior martial arts experience. And most guys that trained had prior martial arts experience. And they, you know, that's why they were able to kind of like wither the storm. Yeah. Right. Weather the storm because a lot of guys that came in like had no experience. Man, they would get destroyed and they would leave. They, would, they yeah. were there for two lessons, you know, and you know, and that's that that was the wrap. And then they, when they separated the white belts, gave white belts a chance to kind of like get some skills, you know, learn, grow a skill set, and then they, you know, put put the you know blue belts and everyone else together. They kind of like let the white belts live, and that's why you know the retention rate became higher. And you guys actually, the white belts started learning better too, you know, because you're going against the first day. I was going against purple belts and brown belts, and I was like, "What the hell are these guys doing to me?" Like I had no idea, you know. And back back then, also, you know, it was really popular to wear the Valley Tudo shorts when you're grappling no gi. Yeah. yeah. Imagine these that was some of these Brazilians with the Valley Tudo shorts, you know, in north south position and you're like stuck underneath and you're like, Holy crap, what the hell am I doing here? You know? Yeah. These thoughts come in, 
they, you know, they, they set into your mind and you're like, wow, you know, like, I can't believe I'm actually doing this. You know, if I tell my friends what the hell are you going to think about me, you know, why am I going here to get beat up with these yeah. guys, you know, with their hairy legs in my, you know, in my face and stuff like that. But it was fun. Man. It was different. Those are, those are, those are classic, incredible stories of, of that time and the formation of, of Henzo's. That was around the time that, you know, my, my professor, my sensei, uh, Nardu Debra. Do you, do you know Nardu either by name or face? And um, and Matt Sarah were, were training. And the, the guy that introduced me to jiu-jitsu originally, his name is, is Professor Lou Levine. He was training back then. He was like, he doesn't train any longer. He's older. You know, he's one of my dad's friends. But uh, those stories are just incredible. Just yeah. to give you a perspective, when I started training in jiu-jitsu, Gregor Gracie was a blue belt. Yeah. Gregor Gracie was a blue belt. I think Igor was a brown belt. Uh, I think uh, the Black Rob was like a purple belt. <laughs> Jamal Patterson was a purple belt, maybe even yeah. a blue belt. You know, Mark Cerrone was not not a black belt. None of these guys had black belts. So it's been a while. I know that Matt just got promoted, which was like a huge thing. That's when I that's when I started training. Um, I used to so I used to train with uh, Sean Williams. Yeah, just I've been out to his academy many, many times over the awesome. years. He's I like awesome. they sent me when I. Uh, He's awesome. Sean Williams, and uh, Henzo used to teach. Henzo used to come to class. You know, class would start let's say six o'clock. Henzo shows up at six thirty, and then we're there till about ten thirty at night, playing backgammon after class. You know, you know from our my Middle Eastern kind of like yeah, you know influences. You know, we played. He's still better than me. I, I don't disagree with you on that part you know uh in backgammon too by the way he's really good he's a really good backgammon player which yeah. is scary you know like at least you know that let me have that no you know not even backgammon uh yeah he's a winner he's a winner everywhere he goes and anytime he comes to me about watches he already knows everything about the watch like he knows everything oh this is this this is that this is that this is that he knows all the names all the brands my screen i'm gonna read this story if you don't mind, Go ahead, man. it says, I was making $80 a day in 2005 when I signed up to the Henzo Gracie Academy. I started training and loved it, but shortly after lost my $80 a day job, I came to Henzo devastated because I had to quit training. So before I quit, I asked Henzo if I could pay him back for the training when I get another job. He tells me to come and when you make the money, you'll pay me back. He asked me for what job I had. I answered, I sell watches and jewelry. After a few months, I got another job, but my goal was to open a place of my own. So about a year after, in 2006, I opened a small place in the Diamond District. One of my first customers was Henzo. He also put in a good word for me with the rest of the guys looking for watches and diamonds. Never did I expect this to happen, walking into that building all those years ago. Thank you, Master Henzo Gracie, Henzo Gracie Academy, for everything you did for the Academy and for us. I mean, does this say it all about Henzo? Yeah, for sure. I mean that story when I saw that on your chat on your on your Instagram I just got full body chills. It's facts, man. It's a one hundred percent factual. None of it is made up. And he still, you know, like he still helps everyone out, everyone he can out. Especially if you're, you know, like to him, everyone's a good guy, even if they're not the best guy. Yeah. But you know, he still tries to help everyone out, and he still puts in a good word for everybody out there. You know, and. If you're if you're a type if you're a good person 
And, you, you know, like, you could definitely, definitely, definitely rely on Henzo for your help, you know. He'll always be there for you. He, he'll always put in a good word for you. And he has for me. You know, he, he opened the doors for me in many ways, you know. Um, so initially, I don't know if you want to get into this now. So I'll, yeah. I'll tell you. So initially, I, I graduated St. John's. Um, I graduated St. John's. I was supposed to go to law school. Um, so while I was studying for my LSATs, my cousin, who was in a pretty bad car accident, yeah. uh, broke his leg, broke his arm. Um, so he's a, a pretty bad car accident. He he needed help running his shop. He has a shop in the Diamond District. Pretty well known, pretty big, you know, a lot of celebrity stuff. Um, so he's at, he asked me, hey, listen, can you come by while you're, you know, while you're studying for your stuff? while you're while you're studying for your LSATs come by and like help me out because I can't do many things you know broken leg broken arm you can't get around drop off pickups and stuff like that go to the bank and uh, I'm like yeah sure you know so he gave me you know like a runner's job you know like I don't know anything I'm not supposed to be there for too long you know so you know how it is sometimes working with family after a while man they're like man I'm like I you know it it was good it was good. It, it let me grow, but it was also tough. You know, it was also tough. Yeah. You know, not getting your fair shake. You know, uh, your I was a college graduate being dumbed down. You know, it's like a lot of like things. Like it, it's first of all, it was a new business uh, for me. You know, so then later on, I took the LSATs. I took the LSATs. It did pretty well, well enough to get into a few schools on the East Coast. You know, like by 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 the house Hofstra and you know, New York law and all those. And, uh, you know, I'm like thinking, looking at the law school tuitions, I'm thinking, man, should I go? Should I go? Should I go? Should I go? I wasn't really passionate about it. But uh, what I was passionate about was watches. I really loved watches uh, way before I even started working in the business. I, I loved in the jewelry business. I really loved watches. What was it about the watches? Why? I don't know. I just always had like a fascination about watches. It, it, it came so I used to be a fan of the show called Renegade. I don't know if you know that show. It was like this guy, uh, Ricardo, I think his name is Lamas or something like that. Mm -hmm. So he used to wear the Swiss Army watch, like an $80 Swiss Army watch. And I was a kid. I wanted the Swiss Army watch. That was like the, the, the thing that I wanted for whatever reason. I wanted the Swiss Army watch. And he knew karate and he rode a motorcycle. He was a badass. You know, I was like, I wanted to be this guy. You know, yeah. so, And I wanted that Swiss Army watch. So I took my dad to Torno on one of my birthdays. I took him to Torno and we couldn't get the Swiss army watch. So we got a Swatch watch instead, right? It was like a hundred dollar Swatch watch or something like that. Yeah. I, I looked after this Swatch watch, like nobody's business. I was constantly with the cloth wiping it and, you know, and taking care of it and making sure it's good. I still have the watch by the way, you know, my sons won't wear it, but you know, <laughs> That's a that's a different story, but you know, but I still have the watch. It's still it's still in a, it's still in good condition. Still, so some fascination, you know, just an internal fascination with watches. Also, at the time, I was pretty confused about what I actually wanted to do. So I was actually taking amateur fights. I was actually taking amateur fights. I was doing jujitsu competitions. I was taking amateur tie fights. I was doing amateur MMA fights and like uh, you know like some rinky dink places around yeah. and they actually gave me uh after i did a few matches and a few fights i did pretty well uh they actually gave me uh like an invitation not an invitation but like an offer to 
I, I don't remember. It was like one of the promotions in Atlantic City to fight, you know, MMA. I weighed, I think, walking around at the time, I was about 175 pounds, 178 pounds, something like that. So they wanted me to do 155 or 160, like a catch weight or something like that. But then they told me how much money it was, and I'm like, man, I'm not doing it, man, because it's going to cost me a lot of money to get there. It's going to cost me trainers. I got to pay for this. I got to pay for that. I have no money to pay. Yeah. I'm working like, a, you know, like a, I'm making a couple of dollars a day. And, yeah, and, you know, that's the kind of, you know, and then I started – I left my cousin's place and we got into it a little bit. I left and I went and started working with somebody else for a little bit. And I'm like, man, I, you know, it's like everything they do, I could do, you know, I could do anything they do. I'm better than them. I treated, I treated this, the business that I was, that I was, you know, the business, the watches and the jewelry and stuff like that. I treated it like, like school. Cause I, I come from that background. So I would go get books. I would go to Barnes and Noble. I would go get books and I would literally study these books. A long time ago, we didn't have these, you know, the internet, you, you know, you don't have all the watch prices listed everywhere. It wasn't like this, you know, you didn't have all that information that, you know, just type it in and you have all the information there. So we actually had to look at the books and read the books and figure out what millimeter casings are and what this watch does and what that watch does and stuff like that. So I used to have to read the books. And at one point I got so good at, you know, like remembering all the models and stuff like that. And my cousin was like, you know, he didn't really give a crap anymore. He's like, you know, he's an established guy. He's like, Arthur, what's the price on this watch? Oh, 79.50 retail. What's the price on that watch? 57.50 retail. Oh, what's the, you know, on and on and on and on. So he would like refer to me because like I'm constantly sitting there reading and studying and, you know, kind of like, you know, doing that thing with the, yeah. like, with the watches and the jewelry and the diamonds and stuff. Yeah. So you started to master your craft, you know, you had to learn. Exactly. I treated it like, like school, you know, like, cause I was from a, you know, from a school setting, like this is the only way I knew how to do it. I'm not just gonna, you know, for me, I only like to talk about things I've done research on and I know how, and I know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to tell you and sit there like a lot of times, like, you know, like people sit and they po post stuff up of somebody that posted it up. I'm the type of person I check it first and then I post it up or I repost it or then I talk about it. I'm not just going to tell you something that I, I have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. And, I'm, you know, all of a sudden I'm going to start telling you, you know, that's why, you know, really bothers me right now, like today is what really bothers me is what's going on with the small businesses, especially the restaurant businesses in New York City, you know? Yeah. It really bothers me it's because I'm going to be going on a flight next Friday, Friday coming up. I'm going to be going to Miami, all right, just a couple of days off, right? We're going to be sitting in an American Airlines flight to Miami. Everyone's sitting shoulder to shoulder. It's 200 whatever people in the airplane, okay? You mean to tell me I can't sit away six feet away from a person in a restaurant with a plexiglass on and this on and this on. And you check my temperature when I walked in. I wore a mask when I walked in. We use hand sanitizer. We use this, we use that. You know, it, I do. You know, I really don't understand all these things. Do you think it's corruption or incompetence? I think it's just incompetence. I really don't think it's corruption. I think I think the, the the people running the city, I just don't think they know what they're doing, really. And I think that they, 
they think that New York, you know, like New York is can take a lot. New York can take a lot. New York is a tough. New York is a strong. You know, the business guys here are really tough, really strong, really savvy too, really smart. You know, but every situation that you put them in front, every every hurdle that they have to get over, and another hurdle they have to get over, it just makes it all that harder. And all yeah. of a sudden, you have a person, a business person, that decides, listen, do I really need this headache? I don't need this headache. Some Most of these people run businesses not, not because of it's super profitable. It's because they're super passionate about it. And it's because they want to provide a service and they like doing what they do. They love doing what they do, I should say, especially yeah. in the restaurant business. These are hospitable people. They want to see, you know, like this brings them joy. Some of these people, like I, I, I listen a lot to uh, Barstool, Dave Portnoy. Portnoy is unbelievable. He's a good dude, man. I actually ran into him a few times in the city. Always been like, you know, he actually wanted to hang out once, but I was like, man, I gotta go. But uh, he's a, he's a good dude. What he's doing right now for the for the um, for the uh, restaurant businesses are amazing. You know, you know, getting them the proper funding they need. You know, to get to, you know, because we have so many obstacles. Weather's crap. You're no tourists in the city, right? You have all these restrictions placed on them. These people built out those housing things that they did in front of the restaurants. They had to run electric electricity there. They had to do this. They had to do that. Plus, you have the health department. Then you have the sanitation department. You have the this. You have the that. How many obstacles do you, you know, can you put on these people, you know, like? It's true. And, you know, before we even got here, we already had 30% retail vacancy. So you and I, we both are small business owners in New York City. I have a store on the Upper East Side. I have 12 stores. One of them's in the city. And I always say your average business person graduated from college, worked for a few years. Now they saved up a couple bucks. They want to open a business. How many obstacles are you going to put in their place to open a store, a small restaurant, a bodega? How many permits? How do you have to file? If you make it so complicated, it's hard. you're going to have no businesses. And now we have more than 50% retail vacancy in New York City. You can't walk down a single block in all of Manhattan without seeing at least half of the stores empty. And you know what? I don't want to live in a world where the only food you could eat is Chipotle, sweet green, chopped. I mean, I want to go and get a salad from, you know, Arthur's cousin or from Jordan's cousin. Right. You know, I want to be able to open stores and run businesses and the... The typical government answer is, let's put more regulations, more taxes. We need to tax this person. There's going to be no one left to tax. Nobody. Nobody. You're gone. You're gone. gone. You all, know? all those guys are going to end up running to yeah. places where it's you know better for them. The environment's better for opening businesses like Texas and Florida. These, yeah. these, these places are doing really, really good. You know, they're really, they're really you know. They're really doing good. My brother just came back from Florida. He's saying everything is open. Everything is great. You know, they, they make you wear masks in, out, you know, inside. You guys are at your table. You guys do whatever you want to do. Sit, uh, try to stay like six feet apart from everybody, and that's it. You know, like you can't, you know, this is – if the people are scared, my opinion is if you're really scared for your life, and I'm not saying that corona – I had it, by the way. Yeah. Uh. If you're really scared for your life, if you really, you know, have pre-existing health conditions, stay home. You know, nobody's telling you to go out. You know, it's just an option that people should have is to go out. You know, what the guy and what the what the governor, what's his name, is doing in in California is new, Newsom. new, Newcom, Newsom, Newsom, that's, Gavin Newsom. That's man, that's insane. You know, that's insane. Yeah. Driving and 
you know what's what's happening in New York. You know, you 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 know, you probably read the news and follow all that stuff too. Uh, um, what do you call them, guys? Goldman Sachs. They want to move to Florida. Oh yeah, they're everyone's leaving. They want to. You know how much taxable income that is 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 gonna go to Florida. Where yeah. you got, where's the government going to come up with the taxes? And I explain this to people all the time. Yeah. The top 1% covers for the bottom part of the guys. Yeah, the middle class. And now the middle class is getting demolished because the restaurant businesses are getting demolished. So yeah. a lot of these middle class guys who can afford to actually leave, they'll actually leave somewhere else. Or you'll have the guys that were on the border, they were middle class on the border of being middle class and being on the you know lower class, they'll actually come down to the lower class, and they'll be a dependent also, not a provider. They'll be a dependent. So these kind of things are like mind-boggling to me. Is like how these people in power in office ex expect you know these restaurants and all these other small businesses to cover. I was in, in my building while you were talking. I actually remember this, and I remembered it again. Uh, in, in my building, the, the building that I am now, the uh, management company during Corona defaulted. Um, what's the name of the company? Uh, Reek. Real Estate Equities something. Uh, so they defaulted. Okay. So uh, we had a contract with them. Okay. My two, I have two, I have two spaces. So I have an office and I have a retail store and I have two spaces. Uh, they defaulted. So now we're dealing direct. We had a deal in place with them. Okay. We had a deal in place with them. Now they defaulted. Our deal is nullified because we were renting. They were the, the, uh, the master tenant it's called. So now our deal is nullified. So now we're discussing with the, uh, with the landlord who put in, in place, uh, like a representative for her or whatever. Uh, we're discussing with her and she's kind of, she's in Greece hanging out. She's having a good time. You know, she put up the building for sale. First of all, not a great time to sell a building, you know, not a lot of buyers out there, I'm sure, you know, especially, you know, a building on Fifth Avenue, you know, it's like, a, so she had a few offers, she's not accepting the offers, but anyway, it, it's a tough situation everywhere you go, you know, like my, my exchange, like the exchange level, we have like, you know, different booths set up, each person, each business rents a booth out, mm -hmm. you know, right before Corona's packed. You know, 95% capacity. It's probably at 50 now. Probably. Yeah. They're probably at 50 now. You know, and half the guys are just barely there. You know, they're like, they're, they're you know, confused if they're going to stay or they're not going to stay. Me, I want to stay. But if they're going to end up selling the building and the, the, the guy next door to us, they just took down a bunch of buildings. So the guy next door to us is going to probably build it, wants to build a huge tower. Like a huge tower, he took over the whole building. She's the last building left, right on the corner. You mm -hmm. know, she's she's trying to stay strong. She's trying to fight. You know, who knows? You know, it's like tax time comes around. You know, these buildings. I think this building alone is like two two point five million a year in taxes. Like we're, you know, like if you're not if you have no tenants in the building, how are you going to generate two point five million dollars in taxes? You're not. It's, you know? uh, it's a crazy. It's a crazy cycle. So yeah. talk about your resiliency through this. How, what have you done to, you know, continue to make it happen? Why are you going to stay? I'm trying to stay. So I was looking at a few places. I was looking at a few places. So during Corona, you know, we found out that, you know, the, uh, the management company defaulted during like dead Corona. We're like, oh man, another problem. Right. 
And so we started calling up some of these places around, not to move too far this way, too far that way, stay in the same area. We have clientele. I've been in business since 2006, so I kind of, you know, I need to be here. A lot of people are familiar with me. Um, calling these some of these people up, they have no idea. They're still asking $80 a foot and $75 a foot. I'm like, no, these are pre-corona prices you're asking for. Now you got to give me post-corona prices. Let's right. go. You know, let's get the ball rolling. So I found I found a few places. So I was calling one building, which was pretty funny. I called a building up, and the guy was pretty rude, like pretty you know aggressive guy, you know, pretty rude. Call him up, and he's like, "Oh, I don't need I don't need da, 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 this and that." I'm like, "Okay, no problem." So at, when I was checking online and on his website of how many spaces he had available, it was uh, basically two floors available. Okay, and I made him an offer. I made him an offer. I'm like, yeah, think about it. Get back to me. You know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just checking out, checking it around for now. Calls me up about a month later. He's like, you know, the offer you gave me, is that still valid? I'm like, uh, uh, well, you kind of caught me off guard. I mean, I don't know. Well, let me get back to you. I go back on his website. Remember I told you two floors available? Yeah. Two floors available on his website. So now he's struggling. So now he's looking to pick up a couple of tenants here and a couple of tenants there. Yeah. So actually the, the, the hard ass he was, he's not a hard ass anymore because of the financial situation. Right. So you have, you know, that's why, again, another thing about jujitsu, right. The, the guys that are really tough, you know, on the mats and in the ring and all that stuff, they're actually really nice guys. They're not hard asses, you know. They're not like this guy. This guy's, uh, you know, this guy thinks he is who he is because he has probably a little bit of money passed down from his dad, and that's it. And he thinks he could sit there and dictate and be nasty to people and be, you know, just one of those nasty guys. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he calls me up. I'm like, oh, so now you want to talk, right? So after I, I saw that he had eight spaces, eight floors available, okay? Yeah. yeah. So now he wants to talk. Now we're still talking, but now he's nice. Now he's nice, you know. Now he's much nicer. <laughs> you bring up something I'm going to be writing about in this book. Jiu-Jitsu, this part of your life, it's taught you so much. You encounter another martial artist maybe who's in the business world, or you encounter someone like this who's clearly not a martial artist. Is this negotiating with this kind of guy? Do you see through him like a first day white belt? Like, how is jujitsu helping you navigate the business world? So, I think jujitsu or martial arts in general, right? But you know, like, we have our structure, right? We have the black belts at the top, the brown belts, and so on and so forth. So, these guys that are always walking around with their chest, you know, puffed out and throwing big money everywhere, you know, and we see through that people that train martial arts and you look at a person and you see through that. And for me, like, I always looked at Henzo, you know, I always looked at Henzo and even guys like George St. Pierre and stuff like that. Like you run into him and super humble, you know, really nice, really, you know, like, but honestly, all these guys are that way. Yes. But I think a lot of the guys, even if they're not as humble or not as, you know, um, not as uh, welcoming, they become welcoming when they meet Hanzo. They do. Definitely. For me, 
for me, a lot of these guys might have been whoever they were. Maybe they were, they're good. Maybe they're bad. Maybe they're kind of like arrogant sometimes. But once they meet Henzo and they see who Henzo is, Henzo is this legendary guy, right? Everyone, we all know, okay? But a lot of guys that are not so legendary, but they're legendary in their own little community or they're in a little town. You know, and then they come, they meet Henzo, and they see how he is. Hey, my man, how are you? My brother, how's it? Come, let's take a picture. Let's do this. Let's do that. Talking to them like he knows them for 100 years and stuff like that. Yeah. And right away, they see, man, like, what am I doing? This guy, living legend, fought everywhere in the world, you know, so humble. Me, I have five jujitsu matches that I lost, and I'm not humble. You know, and I'm a black belt, but I suck. You know, like you know, this guy is actually good. <laughs> you know, humble, and that's where it all comes from. It's lead by example, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely leads by example. Like take take all our take the you know all of our guys. You know, all I can say pretty much all of our guys. You know, besides the like little run-ins here and there, but most of the guys are humble. Like we, you know, even like we're Henzo Gracie, but like when Edwin Najmi comes over. He's got open mm -hmm. doors with us, you know. When uh, Homolo Baral was there, mm -hmm. you know, because we have the, the connection between, right? So Gracie Baja, Draculino, and you have Henzo. You know, uh, Henzo and Draculino used to train together. These are all Draculino's guys. Even though yeah. the Gracie Baja, they're still kind of like friends and everyone's like, you know, the occasional little thing here or there, there. That's just because of the competitive nature of the of a person, you know. Yeah. But – they're not walking around with their chest puffed out, you know, all the time. Like everyone wants to be the best, right? Everyone, especially it's a, it's a tight, tight, you know, at the top it's crowded, you know? So everyone wants to be the best. But what I'm saying is these guys that are, that are walking around with their chest puffed out and this and that, like, man, those guys don't even worry about that guy. I don't so even what, worry what about the, what about the guys in business? You know, like, are you do you do you see these guys and you you know it as a black belt and someone who's been in business since 2006 your own business like you you see this dude this landlord and now he's calling you back i mean so do you I, feel the jujitsu so when i go in when i go into anywhere i like to a little do a little prep right so i did some research about that guy's building i did some research about his uh family-owned business, right? It's family-owned business. I know exactly who he is. I know how exactly he got his money. I know exactly, I knew a lot of things before I went in there. I already prepped myself. So I knew exactly, I knew this guy is going to be this guy just based on the, that, the, the thing that around him, you know, like right. the way he came about. His dad was probably a different person. He's probably a different person because of his dad and because of, you know, stuff was handed to him and he thinks, you know, the world, old, you know, like he's, you know, God's gift to people and stuff like that. So I want, I go in, I usually prep myself, right? I usually, you know, do a little research, read a little bit, study, study the opponent, right? So you got to study the opponent. So I study the opponent and then you make the deal, make the pitch. And then you go back and forth. I know the deal, you know, I've been around. I'm 39, thank God, you know, I've been around, I know the deal. And a lot of these guys are tougher than they are. They 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 want to be tougher than they are, but they're raw, you know. And that's it, you know. They think that you're so small business guys, especially in the jewelry business, we get a bad rap because they also think that, oh, he's in the jewelry business. Nah, they're like, they, you know, 
uneducated, you know, doesn't understand, didn't go to college and stuff like that. And then when they meet you and you're well-spoken and you went to college and you did this and you did that, they're like, oh, really? Wow. I didn't, I didn't think that, you know, and <laughs> by the way, one thing about the jewelry business, which I like, I love really, you know, I actually love, right? Just like jujitsu, right? So God forbid, right? I got to pick up and go. Go anywhere else in the world. I can go to Argentina. I can go to Hong Kong. I can go to Brazil. Anywhere in the world. I could be in Iceland, right? And I could sell watches and I could teach jujitsu. Okay. Wow, that was you just gave me a full full chills moment. I mean, that is uh that is about as beautiful as it gets. You know, jujitsu you can't take away from anyone. The fact that you spent those years on the mats learning triangles and arm bars and transitions, you can't take that away. Especially if your teacher is whoever your teacher was and you learned really well underneath your teacher, you're one of his you know, we have guys in the gym you've never even heard of. You know, you know, you know. Yeah. You never those roll with those guys. Roll with those guys, or those guys will roll with anyone, and they'll be on point, just as good as those guys are, you know. And that's the difference, like, and you know, that's that's what you, you know, like, it becomes like for most people. Like, I watch your your podcast a few episodes of them, and most people are obsessed. Like, I was never obsessed with stand up as much as I was with jujitsu. Okay. I got, I actually got my, my, uh, my black belt and I was like, man, I suck. You know, I'm so bad. You know, I'm, I, I suck. You know, and then, you know, you start, ro you know, ro you're rolling with this guy, with this guy, with that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy you, know, you know, like in my mind, I should be tapping you three times, a, uh, you know, if you're a brown belt to lower than me, I should be tapping you three times in a session, three to five, you know, in my mind. But, you know, you obsess over these things. You want to be better. You want to be better. And then you roll with your instructor, and your instructor's like, man, what the f you got good, bro. What's up? I'm like, I'm just angry, man. You know, I'm just really angry. Why are you angry? You're good. What happened? Oh, no, I want to be better. I always want to be better, you know? And that's, that's the obsession with jujitsu. you know? Like, how many round kicks can you throw? You know? Like, how many round kicks? Jiu-jitsu Jiu presents, like, different problems, different solutions every single time. It's not always the same. Yeah. So same thing as life, you know, same thing as life. And, you know, what I love about jujitsu also is like no, you know, religion, no politics, no my background, your background, you're Italian, I'm Jewish, I'm, uh, you know, black, you're white, who cares? You know, like it's let's go, brother. We're good. Let's let's train. Let's get a good workout in. And everyone's, you know, I wish the whole world would jujitsu, the whole world. Know, like and we'd be so much everyone would be so much better for it you know like yeah. my yeah. sister says that all the time like, you, you, it's, it's, the world. It, you know you know you really do have a melting pot of, of every single socioeconomic class religion race yeah. and everyone's on the mat and everyone's friends and everyone's sweating together you got a billionaire next to a, a teacher next to a nurse next to a, a homeless guy like literally a guy living on someone else's couch you don't see it i don't think you see it on any other martial art even contact sport forget about it but martial art for sure you know you don't see it in any sport any you know you don't see anyone you know when when do you ever get to roll with the lebron james of your sport 
When do you ever get to train with LeBron James? When, when do you ever get to shoot baskets with LeBron James like you do with like a Gordon Ryan in my gym? Yeah, so while you say that, let me pull, let me pull up another tab. So you, you put up two posts recently. Um, I call it the Instagram. It's like a, almost like a TV show. Um, here you are with, uh, with, with Gordon. Yeah, it's my buddy. All right, this guy is the, the tippy top of our sport right now. An amazing promoter of, of the sport and himself. You know, he's a, by all accounts, he's an amazing guy as a friend. But, you know, he's, he's making our sport exciting, which I think is, is great. And then here you are with uh, is Holly Holm. No, it's uh, Caitlin. This is. Um, Long fighter, Caitlin Trugakian. Yeah. And she's, uh, and this is, you know, these are world championship level people right. like you said you are you're you're rolling with them and hanging with them on a daily basis right right every every pretty much every day and it's just a, you know for me it's a pleasure like a lot of some of these some of these guys like you know i'm not a professional right i train probably like three to four times a week at best it, you know jujitsu i still work out hit the bag do all the other stuff but just jujitsu it's like for me it's like when guys are getting ready for fight camps and they're like, man, are you going to be there? Like, I want to get some rounds in with you. I want to do this with you. I want to see what you, you know, what you, what you, because my thing is like, I'm pretty good at jujitsu, you know, I'm pretty good at jujitsu, but I'm good at combining jujitsu with standup. Right. Mm. My first week at Henzo's, I was sparring with the pro MMA team, you know, and these guys are, you know, because stand-up, they weren't doing too good. So a lot of these guys were shooting in for singles to doubles and stuff like that. So they were getting, you know, they were getting hit. They were getting kind of angry. Yeah. So, you know, like, Henzo, there was one, one time some guy double-legged me. I'm not going to say his name. Some guy double-legged me into a corner of a ring. And uh, Henzo's like, hey, 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 what are you doing? Something in Portuguese, you know, to the guy. And the guy, you know, like, basically, like, saying that don't, hurt him he pays the bills <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh you know i was like yeah thank you thank you just thank you i was like a white belt you know like no yeah. idea what the hell's gonna happen like it's gonna be bad you know like you got double legged into a corner you have no idea how to get up it's gonna be bad you know so so hens will save me on that one you know but you know later on you get better so i was gonna tell you one thing so i i got you know i was pretty high level in uh karate and taekwondo so I come into Henzo's and, you know, it was really informal back then, really informal, right? So it's not like you're training and the instructor, instructor is like following your progress along, you know, like it was a big room, just full of crazy sweaty dudes, right? And that one day I was training with some blue belt. I was a white belt. And that one day I triangled that, that guy, triangle choked him. So at, after the end of the class and, you know, Henzo – you know, hits me with the belt on the back. Boom, blue belt. I was training for four months. I'm thinking to myself, four months, I got my blue belt. I'm thinking I'm probably going to be done with this thing in two years. I'm thinking two years, I'll be a black belt. I'm done with this, you know, because in for me, martial arts was like a maybe two to five years. You get your black belt, you kind of... You know, you're good. You move to your toolkit and then you move on. You move on and you learn, you know, Muay Thai, boxing, whatever, whatever. So every... I'm 15 years later, I'm still a black belt. I'm still learning, you know, <laughs> it's still sometimes really humbling, especially you roll against these like world champion guys. You know, some of these purple belt world champs are like Hiron. We have Hiron Gracie, Henzel's yeah. nephew, 
freaking kid's amazing, man. Amazing. He's so good. He's so talented. He's I think he's 19 right now. He's super strong. His press top game's insane, like insane. I remember I was going with him about a year ago. I was like, man, this guy's going to be a problem. This guy's going to be a problem. I had him in a he, – he had me in a – he tried to single leg me. I had him in a like a loop choke. He's curdling, curling, curling. I'm like, man, this kid's going to pass out right now. I, I let him go. He takes my back and almost subs me. I'm like, man, I should have I should have choked him out. <laughs> I'm like, I should have choked him out. You know, he's yeah. a, I think he was a blue belt at the time that he was doing. He's he's a beast. He's going to be a future champ for sure, for sure. Okay. His work ethic, his work ethic is really good. His work that work ethic, you know, you can have talent, but then you put put in the work, and that that's when you go to the top. It was great seeing the whole Henzo Gi team back on the competition circuit this past six months. Those guys, those guys are really good, man. I train with a lot of those guys. A lot of those guys are like really, really good. Like I'm, I'm glad to see that Gregor actually. Gregor Gracie actually took it, you know, for himself too. Like yeah. he, he took those guys underneath his, his wing. Gregor is like one of the top talents that I've ever rolled with ever, ever on the mat. Like jujitsu is so effortless for this guy. And like I don't care. Like I've rolled with guys that trained, you know, just as long as he has. It's there. It, the level, just the talent-wise, has his level has always been like phenomenal, you know, like – it's just God given, I think. Like his his talent, super talented man. Like he does crazy, crazy stuff, and he gets away with it. You know, like he'll man, this guy's a murderer, man. I'm pretty good at judo, by the way, too. Pretty yeah, judo. Like a lot of guys can't throw me with the gi on. They yep. can't throw me. He throws me, like throws me, threw me on my neck a few times, on my head a few times. I get. There's only about two guys in that gym that could throw me, like real, like throw you, head down, legs up. He's one of the guys. Well, my, my judo coach coming up uh, was, of course, my sensei, Nardu, but he also used to bring in Harry and Gary St. Ledger to the gym all the time. Those, those guys could throw me. Those guys could <laughs> throw me. And to get those guys, uh, you know, to get some of their knowledge in me so early on, and this was before Harry moved out to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Right, right. Like, I'll never forget the lessons. And even though I only know so little about judo, I'm not, like, the little bit that I know is enough to keep me a big head start against anybody who doesn't train. Hell yeah, hell yeah, judo man, judo's awesome. Judo's awesome. You know, judo. I had Travis Stevens and Jimmy Pedro on this podcast. And I know. Were... I saw. I saw the, uh, the Travis one. I saw the. Uh, I think I saw the quotes from the Travis one. Yeah, Travis dropped a quote that was so powerful to me. It literally shook me to my core. And it, you said something at the beginning of this podcast about the people you were hanging out with when you started to go into jujitsu and Travis said he doesn't even know someone who would make the mistake of calling him to go out because he was so laser focused on his goals and his dreams to become an Olympian and an Olympic medalist and champion that he doesn't even have friends who would, who would be so foolish as to, you know, be like, let's go out on Friday. He has friends, but they're all judo guys and jujitsu guys. They know that he's not they're going not. to have a drink. They know he's not going to be the party guy. Right, right, right. You know, like, like that was a, one of the, one of the reasons I started this project is like, I wanted to know, I wanted to say, okay, well I'm this business guy. And then I have this secondary life where I do jujitsu and they don't talk to each other at all. Right. You know, I'm going to go and I'm going to bring my, my worlds together. And I want to go talk to people who are in business and jujitsu. Believe me, man, they talk more than you think they talk. Yeah. Business world and the jujitsu world, they talk. Like I see a lot of the guys that I know from Brazil. Um, 
they're you know they did they did you know they started jujitsu way before me me i don't know when did you start jujitsu 2009 how old were you then 24 24 well i started about the same time it started about i think 21 or 22 i started okay but these guys started to you know four years old five years old they started the jujitsu they ran it it, they ran its course. They're like high-level black belts. Most of the guys are like you look yeah. at their Instagram profiles. They're like three, four-time world champions in the color belts, and they won things like you know they're you know like state championships or whatever in, in jujitsu. But now they're really doing well. Like I have a few friends that are in like uh, big investments, in like a Brazil Brazilian investment. Um, forgot what the company's called, but they're doing really well with that. I have another guy that's doing agriculture in Brazil and you know, these guys are all jujitsu guys. And like, it, it's, you know, like it's the same work ethic, the same mentality, like the same, you know, the same things apply and it translates really, really well into the business world. Yeah. It trans translates well into the success world, you know, success, like success is not just for most people, most people is not just given. And even if it's given, doesn't mean it's it can't be taken away and doesn't mean that you know it, it has to you know can be neg neglected it you know it can be something that's given for a short time and then uh, you know it's you know done you know you got it taken away from you you don't want to take it you know you don't want to have it taken away from you that means you're gonna have to fight you have to fight to keep it and what jujitsu does it kind of like grounds you and mental focuses you in and makes you really 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 on top of your stuff and really obsessed over perfection you know like perfection of you know just like execution perfect execution everyone knows you know you you show me a white belt that's been training like six months he knows how to do an arm bar too but he doesn't know how to do it as efficiently as the black belt or the brown belt you know okay. so it's the execution that little split second of gap or space that you lose the arm bar and all of a sudden the white belt you know you got out of the arm bar the brown belt, you're still stuck. You've got to fight more. And then all of a sudden, you got out of the armbar because you're a black belt. You know, that's what's supposed to happen. That's the, you know, the hierarchy that I was telling you about. Okay. You know, it's a beautiful thing, man. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. Love it. Love it. Won't give it up for the world, man. It's, it's, I'm so, we are so blessed, like, that we, we somehow, whatever, which way, we got in there and we found it. And I've met so many people, good people from there. And we connect just like on a, even on a, you know, money wise again. Yeah. You could be here. He could be there, you know, opposite ends. You could be different religion, but just because you have jujitsu, you connect automatically, you know, automatically. And most of my good clients are from jujitsu, like good customers. Wow. They trust, they trust me. You know, they trust my judgment. They trust my opinion. Like, I don't know if you know, Ali, Ali Abdelaziz. I mean, only by reputation. Yeah, oh, Ali's, yeah, Ali's so Ali's a super right, super manager right now. But before yeah. Ali was super manager, Ali was uh, you know was a judo guy that I knew from a, uh, another friend of mine who was on the Olympic training team with him, and they introduced me to Ali, and Ali was training at Henzo, started training at Henzo's. He was in Albuquerque with uh, Greg Jackson. He came over to Henzo's to start training. He's like, I got a fight coming up. You want to help me train? I'm like, you got a fight coming up. You know, all of a sudden, you got a fight coming up. Like, how does this happen? Yeah, yeah I got a K1 Heroes fight coming up. Back then, um, K1 was doing MMA. Mm. So I have a K1 Heroes fight coming up. You want to come help me train? I said, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
where are you doing your Muay Thai training? I'm like, I'm doing it at Phil Nurse's The What. I don't know if you know that, Jim. Of course. Yeah. Phil Nurse is, man. He was uh, GSP's uh, Muay Thai coach. Ask, he was him, ask, ask him who sent GSP to him. <laughs> GSP was at Hensel's. He was a purple belt. Came from Canada with some big guy. Uh, I forgot his name. Some uh, He fought MMA too. Real nice guy too. Like huge, super heavyweight. Big. Um, so GSP came. I was a blue belt. He was a purple belt. Me and him are in the locker room. He's like, George's like, hey, you guys know where to train uh, Muay Thai over here in New York? I'm like, the best coach in New York is my coach, Phil Nurse. He's like, where is that? I'm on Canal Street, like a block off Canal Street. He's like, what's the gym called? I'm like, the what? I come there the next day. I see him in the locker room. I'm like, hey, you actually listened? <laughs> you know? I was like, oh, okay, you know, cool. Then GSP brought Rashad Evans and, you know, to, to Phil Rashad Evans and he brought you know, Frankie Edgar ended up there. So I brought Ali over there. And Ali fought his couple of fights in MMA. And Ali went into managing. And Ali actually gives me a lot of clients. A lot of clients as far as, like, the jewelry business. Like, man, I only trust Arthur. Go to Arthur. That's it. You want something jewelry? Go to Arthur. Yeah. You know? And, you know, we figure it out. I've done stuff for uh, Cody Garbrandt. I've done stuff for uh, uh, Abu uh, and Atman, our uh, two brothers from Morocco, they fight. They're also signed to Ali. Done stuff for for other guys too, like a bunch of other guys, you know. And that's all the Henzo Gracie team, Henzo Gracie connection. Yeah, you know, you know we get guys from Sarah's gym. We get guys from uh, Dante Rivera's gym, from Ricardo Almeida, from Mark Henry, the whole you know the whole thing, Florida, Vegas. Yeah, California. We got the Gracie Baja guys in California and Texas. We got Draculino and Gracie Baja. So it's like from all over. From Brazil, we got guys everywhere. It's a big, big, big networking. You know, it's like it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing, and automatically you have a sense of trust in the people that you're associated with. I'm not saying that you trust them 100, percent you know, but you'll automatically they'll you know everyone's got walls set up, especially in New York, right? Everyone's got. Yeah walking around angry, you know, always, you know, looking at you like, what do you want from them? You say hello to somebody, they'll think you're, you're crazy, you know, in New York. But, you know, with jiu-jitsu, the wall, one of the walls came down. That's you, know? True. you know, at least one. <laughs> you know, your, fr your, your foot is in the door at least, you know. How, how did you um... – how did you bring your business into into that gym originally? Was it Henzo right from the beginning? Like he, he supported you and he sent everyone to you and that was it? So in, initially when I was working, right, when I was working, I brought him to the places that I was working in. And, you know, he had a, he always had a huge interest in watches. You know, he's, he's always been, if you ever look at Henzo's pictures, he was always wearing a watch, you know, always wearing a watch. So me and him would like sit down and talk watches all the time, sit down and talk watches. Oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Did you see this? Did you see that? And then when I told him I opened up my own little shop, uh, he's like, I'll come. I'm like, you know, people tell you they'll come. Sometimes they don't come. Usually most of the time they don't come, right? Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden he's like, he texts me, motherfucker, where are you? <laughs> I'm like, I'm here, come. I give him my address. He's like, oh, this is you. This is nice. Looks around, looks around. Like, how much is that one? I'm like, I don't remember what I said, whatever it was. I'm like, just take it, you know, like whatever, three grand or two grand, whatever it was. He's like, okay, pays me. Okay, 
Oh, you like this? You wore it? You like this? You really like this? Yeah, I like it. Boom. Goes to the gym, tells, you know, shows all the guys in the gym, like, hey, listen, I got this watch from him. Like, oh, yeah, you got this watch? What, you do watches? I don't know you do watches. Yeah, I do watches. Yeah, okay, well, all of a sudden, you got everyone coming through, calling me, asking me, can you get this? Do you have that? Blah, blah, blah. You know, I try to take care of all the guys, try to take care of everybody, you know. I try to give them, even if you're not buying it from me, I try to give you, you know, the, the actual price that you should be paying. Like, I have a lot of guys, like, I was supposed to be buying a watch from one friend who's a, you know, who's a, who was a customer, became a friend, right? And then he goes, listen, I'm going to sell it to my other friend. He really wants to watch. I said, sure, man, go ahead, sell it. You know, like, if he's going to wear it, I'm not wearing it. I'm trying to make a couple of bucks on it and move it, you know. But if he's going to wear it, he's going to be happy with it, you know. Sell it to him. I don't mind, you know. Like, I'll tell you exactly what you should be getting or, you know, what you should be asking. Because a lot of times, you know, like, you lose friends over stuff that you sell, you know. Yeah. Um, I sold something to somebody a long, long time ago, way before I got into this. And we're not friends anymore, you know, because, you know, he didn't pay me. You know, I sold it. He was supposed to pay me. He never paid me, you know, and that's what happens, you know. So just be careful with that part and be careful with, other, you know, with that. But other th otherwise, you know, if you sell to me or you sell to them or you buy from me or you buy from them, I don't care. I just want to guide you. Give you my two cents and keep it moving, you know. Thank God, you know, I got, you know, whatever's going to come my way is going to come my way. You know, you can't mess around uh, with the stars. The stars are aligned a certain way for certain people, you know. That's what I believe in. You know, that's the bank account of life. And you've done that so remarkably well. Um, that's why Henzo supports you. That's why Gordon supports you. That's why these athletes and celebrities come by and one of the things I'm going to write about in this book and I advise to young entrepreneurs who are just starting out, they're looking for that moment where Henzo comes in and so many things have to go right in order for that to happen, but you have to do right by them. Otherwise you're going to, you're never going to get the kind of success that you've had. You're never going to figure it out. You're never going to have all these people repeating the business, coming back to you over and over and over again, referring their friends, Ali sending guys in people. They want to know what that secret sauce is. You know, you've described it today so beautifully in all of your stories. You know, you've said, you've given them the knowledge now. Like all these young guys that are going to watch this in the gym, they're finishing college or they they got some job and they want to start a business. These are the guys that come to me all the time. That's what inspired me to write my first book and inspired me to write this book. It's like they want to know how did you get so successful? How did you get that watch? How did you make the relationship? How did you get on the phone with Arthur? And... Um, Jordan, in my mind, I'm still not successful. You're successful. You know, you, you've. In my mind, I'm still not successful. In well, my you're, mind, I'm no you're, you're, you're fighting for it. I'm still fighting for it every day, every day. You know, I was here Saturday. I was here Saturday. You know, I didn't have to come in on Saturday. I could have been off with my family and this and that. I had a couple of clients call me up, say, I want to come Saturday. I came in on Saturday for them. You know, that's just the the, the, the mindset that I have. Like, I, I watch a lot of like these, these guys that are, I think, really big right elon musk and stuff like that right elon musk sells his first company for like 150 million dollars right the next day he's back at work you know like nothing happened you know like he's working on his next idea he's trying to do something else trying to do something bigger most guys 150 million dollars they'd be like yeah, that's enough i'm moving to wherever i'm moving to leave me the hell alone i don't want to talk to anyone i don't want to know anybody. you know i don't want to i don't want to be uh, you know i'm changing my phone number no not not that you know just 
Yeah. You know, what's what's coming? What's next? What's next? You know, he's going to be the richest guy in the world. And what most people don't know about Elon Musk is how many times he's been on the brink of losing everything. You know, a year ago, most he, guys. he said that his stock was going to be worth four hundred twenty dollars and the SEC came came after him. I mean, look what it's worth today. No. And I, I owned it a while back. Well, I still own some, but I owned a lot a while back. And the thing is, I under didn't understand what the actual company is about, right? So in my mind, Tesla was a, a car company. It's not a car company. It's a technology company. Okay, they're offering you technology. Okay, so that's why when you look at, in my mind, how can this car company, car company, right? I was thinking about it. How can this car company be worth more than Ford? And Toyota and this and this and that and that. Like, how the heck? You know, tomorrow BMW is going to come out of with their own batteries and they're going to make, you know, they're in, you know, Tesla is going to go down and we're going to lose a ton of money. That's what my thinking was. But I was wrong in that thinking because I was thinking that Tesla is a car company. It's not a car company. It's a technology company. They're offering you, you know, other things. They're, they're going to bring forth other things like the self-driving, the trucking and all that other stuff that he's developing, you know. That's why the stock is so much. That's where their 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 you know evaluation is so high is because of that, not, not because it's a car company. You know, everyone makes cars. Nobody has the evaluation that Elon Musk and Tesla do. You know, beautifully said, Arthur. Where can people find you? Um, right now, <laughs> for now, I'm on, I'm at five seventy eight Fifth Avenue. And um, that's where the shop is, 578 Fifth Avenue, ground level. Um, you'll see all my watches in the window. I'm the only, we're the only watch guys there. Yeah. Not only watches, I also do custom jewelry, uh, custom-made pieces, uh, chains, bracelets, diamond work, and stuff like that. Yeah. And I do have an office upstairs where I usually am. Like, I have salespeople down there that take care of that stuff. If you want to see me personally, just... Hit me up on Instagram. I'll come down. I'll meet you. I'll greet you. We'll hang out, you know, talk some watches, talk some diamonds, whatever you want to do. Custom you inspired me to put my watch on for the first time. Nice one. Ceramic. started. Yeah, it's a good one. Good one. And I, I hadn't worn this watch or anything fancy or showy because, you know, I was in deep hard work mode, you know, saving my businesses and making sure there was a business. And a hundred percent of my employees are back. A hundred percent of my rents are paid. A hundred percent of my vendors are paid. Everything's back. And today, when I put this watch back on, you're back. I felt back for you're the first back. time. You inspired me to put this on today. I I don't take I don't I so used to wearing a watch every day. It's hard for me to take it off. Like I I wear, I wear my Apple Watch every day. I always I I like Apple watches, just not. You know, for working out, it's good. Just not for wearing, like, you know, like, I like the real, like, the essence of a watch is, like, for me, mechanics and all that stuff. Like, that's that's the real, like, a real watch for me. me you know, I look at it, like, for me, it's a, it's a reminder of, like, how things work, you know, how things are, you know, interplaying with each other and how life is, right? So everything has its part, you know, everything has a movable part. And, you know, it's not circuits, just circuits for me. I work out with an Apple Watch. I run with an Apple Watch, you know, check the heart rate and stuff like that. But, yeah. you know, but this this is like a real watch for me. I don't consider an Apple Watch a real watch, <laughs> you know, from a watch. I I do I, I, by the way, I don't think I do either. But I just didn't feel right, you know, walking around when I had to, all that work to do. 
like you said, you know, I, I had felt like I, I didn't feel successful. I felt like I had to show up and win. And uh, we've got four days left in this year and we won, you know, I'm back and everything is back on track. And it was just the most incredible grind. And I can, it was a hundred percent because jujitsu. That's right. it. Right. Jiu-jitsu. Like I worked my ass off and I got it. Yeah. That's good to hear, man. That's good to hear. You know, I was, I was, um, I was going to quit jujitsu so many times. You don't understand. Especially like during my purple belt days. That's when I, you know, I had my kids, you know, my, me and my wife had our kids and stuff like that. And it was really tough to go train. And, you know, Halls Gracie told me, just come twice a week, bro. What are you doing? Just come twice a week. I'm like, bro, twice a week is like so hard for me to come. You know, like, I can't, you know, I can't. So I would miss like weeks at a time. It took me from purple from blue to purple, it took me like five years. I was thinking, man, I'm never going to get my black belt. Never. Yeah. You know? And then I'm like, man, you know, I really got to go get my black belt. I'm like, you know, my kids got a little older. They became a little more self-sufficient, you know, and then I started picking up on the training again, you know, training, training, training. I actually had my own academy in Queens. We were doing really well. And uh, just, you know, kind of like with the Corona thing, you know, yeah. right before the Corona thing, we started losing a lot of, uh, you know, people. And now it's pretty much pretty much dead. But I took my partnership out. But at, at one point, we had 115 students there. Wow. And the, the majority of the reason, I didn't do it for the money, that, that thing, the school, I didn't open it for the money. Um, we had it because I wanted to get some extra training. And, like, I was there training an extra two days a week. And that's when my jujitsu went, you know really good you know from like i was a, i think i was a brown belt at the time that i opened it and that's when the jujitsu went like really good because you're rolling every day so i was training here in the city like three four days and now on the weekends i'm there pretty much you know two three hours i got my kids running around everywhere you know and then you know put them to the side a little get some training in again they run around i get put them to the side i get some training in you know it was it, it's um you know life is never you know smooth it's always gonna have you know, the waves and sometimes it, it hits a little, you know, and you got to make sure you sustain the round. And, you know, it's like it's it's like that, you know, for me, it's always been like that. I'm sure it'll continue to be like that. You know, so peaks and valleys. That's it. That's it. So right now, you know, right now I'm just thanking God and thanking, you know, every everyone that, you know, we we have like a good clientele base that we are supported. We're definitely not doing the same numbers that we were pre-COVID. But the bills are paid, like you said. The, the rent's paid. Everything, everything is good. We're not like actively growing and pursuing. Pursuing. We're just trying to maintain. You know, trying to maintain and trying to just like hold on to everything else. Like I have a have somebody I know. Four restaurants, sixty plus employees shut down. You know, closed. You know, had to. Had to He's like, he, he goes to me and my brother, he goes to me and my brother. He's like, you know, the worst part is I'll be okay. You know, I'll be okay. I have some money. He's, he moved to Colorado. That's where he's from originally. He's like, I'll be okay. I have some money, but I feel bad for the guys that were working for me. You know, the line cooks, the waiters, the bartenders. You know, he's like, those guys, man, they're not going to get anything. If they stay in New York, they're not going to get anything. And he was right because they did another – they did another, sh- you know, they shuttered them again right now. You know, these poor guys, you know, unless you have like an outdoor area. And who's coming to eat outdoors? It's like freezing outside. How do you sit outdoors? Like where is the common sense, man? No common sense, man. 
You know, law school, law school, like most of the law school LSAT thing is common sense. It's logic and reasoning. That's the biggest part of law, right? So Cuomo and I don't know if de Blasio, but for, for sure Cuomo's a lawyer, all right? So I don't know where is this common sense, right? So you have all these, you have all these businesses and, you know, man, I was just driving to the city today. It was depressing, depressing, depressing. I live in Queens, Queens. Yeah, not not too far from St. John's University, uh, where I went to school. It's a good neighborhood, middle middle class neighborhood. Takes me about on a on an average day takes me about twenty five minutes to get to work, which is really easy. You know, the commute's quick. I'm in the city. We're in the city most of the times anyway, so it's like I just drive home in and out. I don't have to schlep too. Is the academy uh, open right now for uh, visitors? It is. It is. You can call. Come by, man. Come by. Yeah, I'm, I'm, probably, I'm probably going tonight. I got my gi. Probably I'm going. very good at uh, following up, so you can be sure that I will. Come through, come through. Just uh, hit me up before you go, and we'll arrange, you know, to meet up, and we can train. You know, we can train, get some good training in. Uh, yeah, the academy's open. This know. podcast started actually as we would train, and then we would record on the mat. All I my see. episodes. Some of them were the, the people were kind of sweaty. Yeah, your hair. Yeah, was we were all sweaty and out of breath, <laughs> and we just sat on the mat and then would have a conversation about business. And that's awesome. That's man. really how I envisioned it, and how I hope that I can get back to doing that. But this created something even more beautiful because I can train, I can record more, and I can meet more people this way. So yeah, yeah it's, uh, I, I think the, the you know the academy, you know, you got things going on in the background and this and that. You know, like this way you could just sit down and, and nobody's huffing and puffing after five six rounds of hard training. You know. Yeah. Hey, All right, Arthur. Pleasure. I listen, you dropped some absolute gems today and you got stories for days. I, I hope we could do this again in the future and I can't wait to train together and I can't wait to come check out your shop. Yeah, come through, and, man. Uh, come through. I'm here, man. I'm here pretty much every day, man. You know, working away. Yeah. You know, we, you know, we're doing our thing. We're not slacking, you know, so it's not, so we're not, it's not because of lack of effort, you know. I, I, you know, all these small business guys, you know, they want to stay open and it's not, you know, they're not going to close down because of lack of effort. They're going to, they're going to close down as because of these restrictions and these crazy rule sets that are put, put in for them. And then just all these obstacle courses. And like, I want these guys, man, me and you both want these guys to succeed. We all want these guys to succeed. You know, like imagine your favorite restaurant, which is I'm sure like a family owned place. Imagine it tomorrow, not being there. You know, like it's sad. The same guy that the 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 feed that fed you for 20, 30 years of your life and still wants to feed you, still wants to, you know, do it, but he can't because because of all yeah. these things, you know. Crazy. Yeah. Arthur, pleasure. Thank you, brother. Appreciate Talk it. Talk to you soon. Really appreciate you. See you, man. All right. Have a good one. Thanks, bro.